Welcome to Across the Pond Sports Podcast, part of Across the Pond Sports Network. Don't forget to drop us a rating and review after the episode. Check us out on social media and on our website at atpsports.net. Hello and welcome to Across the Pond Sports. We are back for another week and this week is a great week because we're going to have a couple of uh, interviews that we've got coming up. But the first is uh, with Canadian NBA agent Stacy. Stacy. Welcome to the show. Thank you. <laughs> One thing that got me is when we kind of discussed you coming in and doing a, an interview is that you are from a place called New Finland. Yes, that's right. And I looked this place up because I was like, I've never heard of it. So I was like, I'm going to look this place <laughs> up. In 2006, and I don't know if this is true because this is like internet research, which obviously doesn't always pan out. But it says in 2006, the amount of people living in New Finland was like 333 people it is 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 it's not that small it didn't look that small on the map to be fair no no no. i think well i don't know about back then but now i think there's like between newfoundland and labrador because it is one province even though newfoundland is the island i think between the two it's about half a million now yeah so wikipedia needs to stop its game honestly that was probably somebody in newfoundland just like let me play with this wikipedia page like (laughs) Yeah, somebody playing a prank. Yeah, that'd be that'd be a good one. But being in such a, a small province, I would imagine playing sports would have been kind of not difficult, but when you're kind of out in the sticks and there's not a lot of competition around, how was it you found sport and and what led you to get into it? So my parents uh, are amazing parents and they had some great philosophies on things that they wanted to make sure that I was capable of doing. Uh, They wanted to teach me like life skills. So they had two rules. I could play whatever sports I wanted, but I had to learn how to swim and I had to learn how to figure skate because we lived in a very icy place. They wanted me to know how to skate in case there was ever some situation where I needed to. And of course, swimming is just like a life skill, but especially having been living on an island that they thought it would be good for me to learn. Um, A lot of individual sports like that are what I started doing like at a very young age. Like I might've been like three years old, pretty much as soon as I could like, walk I started skiing like I did pretty much anything that my parents were interested in and they were interested in sports like skiing and tennis and swimming as well golf like I I started with individual sports and then once I got to school age the team sports kind of took over my life a little bit I have an older brother and he's two years older so when he started playing team sports it like piqued my interest and I've always been like an active child. So when I went to go to like my brother's basketball practice, for example, I really didn't want to sit there for like an hour or two hours or whatever it was. So I'd ask the coach, like, can I play? And eventually they started saying, you know what, fine. Um, and that's actually how I got my start. They'd have to, the coach would actually pick me up so that I was like close enough to the rim that I could shoot. It was really sweet. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Um, I mean, but that's cool though, that like your parents from a young age, um, and I, I imagine like, yeah, living somewhere remote where, you know, I like the figure skating thing where it's going to help you if there was ever a situation, a natural disaster where you were going to need to skate. I can just imagine the rock right now, I'm like speed skating over <laughs> a big lake and he's learned it from his parents because uh, he did figure skating. The rock doing figure skating itself would be, would be hilarious. In terms of though, kind of growing up, finding your way and finding that you wanted to do team sports what led you to basketball was it just that you know because I wouldn't imagine playing soccer out in the snow would be too fun 
No, well, believe it or not, soccer is one of the most popular sports in Newfoundland, but it's largely played indoors. Um, obviously, there's lots of outdoor fields for the summer, like grass fields and turf fields, but there's a lot of like indoor turf fields as well, which is where we played mostly. Um, so my actual three main team sports that I played right up until college were basketball, volleyball, and soccer. And I played both soccer and basketball at like the national stage. Um, I went to nationals twice for soccer, four times for basketball. And I never got to go for volleyball, although my team went because it conflicted with basketball um, and with soccer. So I, I, in every situation I had to pick one, I didn't get to do both, unfortunately. Um, but team sports, as far back as I can remember, like my first team sport, I believe was soccer. We had Timbit soccer, which obviously was sponsored by Tim Hortons. Um, so every little kid played in it. It was like heavily promoted just so like, you know, we'd figure out our limbs and stuff pretty young. Um, and everybody I knew played in Timbit soccer. So we did that. And then I think I was roughly three years old when my brother started like to get an interest in basketball because at that point he was five, he was starting school. Um, and that's really where it started. We end up with a basketball net like in our driveway and that naturally piqued my interest a little bit. And when he started watching the NBA it was the big turning point because I was younger and I wasn't allowed to stay up as late. And Newfoundland has its own time zone. So it's especially late there in comparison to the rest of Canada. And I remember, I don't remember which team he liked at the time, but the year that I really started to get into basketball, there were like a few teams that I liked and I was too young to know much, but I just liked the colors and whatever team it was had made it to the playoffs. And my brother was allowed to stay up and watch the playoffs. And my mom told me that I had to go to bed because I was too young. And I just remember being heartbroken that I didn't get to watch these playoffs. And then that's like my earliest memory of like being passionate about basketball. And then it just kind of took over my life. <laughs> now, obviously talking about like people that inspired you, obviously your parents inspired you to go and take up sport in the first instance. And that's really good. But in terms of, you know, being able to watch the NBA, being able to watch potentially maybe the WNBA, did you find it difficult to access the WNBA? Because, you know, when I was a kid, you know, the, the NBA was everywhere. And, you know, I got to see people who kind of looked like me, like play. I mean, they were a lot better than me, to be fair. <laughs> but did you find it difficult to, like, find someone who you kind of looked up to? no like yes and no my parents played like a very active role in making sure that anything I was interested in was pursued no matter what it was so at like a pretty young age I think the first time I played internationally might have been in 2010 I want to say so like I was still pretty young I would have been like like 12 13 at the time I think and my parents we had been planning a trip to Florida like Orlando, Florida, just like a family vacation. I don't remember if it was me or my brother, but one of us had found out that Vince Carter was having a basketball camp in Orlando. And anyway, we decided that we had to go. Most parents would be like, absolutely not. We have this one week vacation. Like we're going to do stuff as a family. And my mom said, sure, I'll rent a car. You can go to camp. So me and my brother actually had the pleasure of like playing with Vince Carter, Vince Carter in Orlando. We were the only two Canadians there. So he referred to both of us as Canada, but he was amazing. That was like another like very, very pivotal point in like my basketball career was like getting to learn from him. And he took special interest to us because obviously we spent a lot of extra money to be there and like went really out of our way to attend his camp. And 
it was like a phenomenal experience. He's a really, really great guy. And I was like a very like inquisitive kid. So like I asked a lot of questions and instead of like being annoyed with that, he just put me right in the center of everybody and be like, okay, you can ask me this question, but you have to like hit these two free throws in front of absolutely everybody here at the camp first. So we did stuff like that. Like he played one-on-one basketball with us. Like it was, it was amazing and it was a great experience. And when it comes to the WNBA, I don't remember when my parents actually introduced me to professional women's basketball, but as far back as I can remember, my original dream was to be both a WNBA player and play in Wimbledon. <laughs> so I had always had dreams of being an athlete. <laughs> the thing is, though, like there's a lot of basketball players that play tennis because the footwork can be so similar. And I have to say, I don't have it with me right now, um, but I do have way back from like the early 2000s a Vince Carter jersey because one of my friends was traveling to Toronto to see family or something. He brought me one back. So I do have a Carter jersey from, from the old Raptors days, which is cool. That was the first jersey I've ever owned. My parents bought it for me for Christmas. I have like the old, like, you know, like retro, like the one with the purple and like the Raptor. Like that's the jersey I have. And it was the first basketball jersey I ever got. <laughs> and that's the thing, like being able to, you know, have the jersey and, you know, I think you do want to emulate the, the players that you you follow and that you I mean I could never dunk like John Stockton but then thankfully John Stockton couldn't dunk so I, I, was, <laughs> I, I was in a good place. Yeah I was really blessed to have parents that were so supportive. My dad actually ended up taking on a coaching role with like originally my brother and then very heavily with me so I got to go places and play against people that like me and my friends would have never ever gotten to come across otherwise like our provincial team to put in perspective the talent difference, our provincial team used to fly to Ontario like once or twice a year to play against uh, Kia Nurses club team. Uh, they were out of Hamilton, Ontario. So the best players in our whole province would go play against her and her friends and they would still win. But it's crazy looking back on it now and talking about like exposure to the WNBA that even though like as a child, I said like I wanted to play in the WNBA, you didn't feel like that was, like that would have been astronomical like you don't feel like that's actually something that can necessarily happen and to see her go from she was always the best don't get me wrong but to see somebody that I had played against like several times over and over again at nationals and when we'd fly up actually make it and be like a very notable player not only in the NBA or in the WNBA but also like a legend in like team Canada history it's crazy and it's just surreal Alec Fire, your parents' support can take you, honestly. It's pretty awesome as well. Like you you have that kind of in your back pocket. Yeah, I used to play against Kia Nurse. Yeah, she she was I mean, all right. She doesn't remember know. me, but I definitely remember her. <laughs> Depends. Did you set a pick on her or anything? She might remember you. She might still have the bruise. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> you never know. And one thing on the tennis, why Wimbledon? I spent like a lot of time watching tennis, but also tennis was like my babysitter as well. Like my parents didn't pay for like a babysitter in the summer. They would drop me off at the tennis court after breakfast and come and pick me up when like after it was dark. Um, and that was just like, we had for the days that it was raining, like the computer or not the computer, but like the gaming systems. Like I think it was like Nintendo 64 at the time or something like that. And I think one of the games we had was like based in Wimbledon or something like that. And like, that's when I started watching like tennis more so on TV. And I just thought like, 
that was like the epitome of tennis for me. I wanted to play at Wimbledon. <laughs> Computer games have a lot to answer for. So we'll get into more about you and why you became agent in, in a bit. But one thing that we want to discuss is Elijah. Uh, yeah. Elijah is a G League player that you represent as a, an agent. He He's in a, a really unique situation that if, if you look through the G League, that there's probably, I don't think there's many players, if any, in his his situation, but this could actually pave the way for some changes to the G League and, and the draft system. Yeah, absolutely. So in Elijah's situation, I don't know how often it has happened in the past, but from the research that I've done, it's almost never happened that a player makes the G League, which has to happen through the draft in his case. So it it almost never happens that a player gets drafted into the G League and gets to play for an NBA affiliate team for an entire year before they're actually NBA draft eligible. So while Elijah is playing in the G League and he's playing in front of NBA scouts and playing against the Ignite every other day, he's also preparing for the 2023 NBA draft, which is amazing. If he gets on the draft board, or especially if he's drafted, it'll be the first time in the history of the league that it's ever happened. Obviously, he's he's 25, so th- this is happening, you know, usually when players are drafted, it's 20, 21, 22. How, how come it has come so late for Elijah? So Elijah had a really, really interesting journey, starting as like a child. He actually has three older brothers that are all professional basketball players as well that he grew up playing against which in itself is a very special circumstance. And he got to see his oldest brother play Final Four at Wichita State with Fred Van Vliet. He's gotten to see his other brothers play like all over the world as well. And he was actually the late bloomer, but the whole family kind of always knew that he was going to be it. Like they were going to put all their resources behind Elijah, who's the youngest brother, and they wanted to make sure that he made it. So he ended up like, because he was a late bloomer, he wasn't highly recruited out of high school or anything like that. So like a lot of players you see today, they ended up taking the Juco route and working their way up. And then he had another interesting situation because he had to like transfer from school to school. And he worked so hard that he actually ended up getting into an NCAA division one school, which was Oral Roberts. So He was finally there, all was well, and then he unfortunately found out that he had a heart condition, he had to have a medical redshirt year, he ended up having successful heart surgery, and then amongst all of these crazy things happening, unfortunately, shortly after his mother passed of cancer, which obviously is heartbreaking. And he's just had so much adversity thrown at him from the very beginning to being a late bloomer to everything that's happened in the past couple of years, but he's always had the support to make it. And he's always had the drive to make it and the work ethic to make it. So honestly, I just feel like privileged and blessed to be the person that he's like taking this journey with and attempting to live his dreams with, honestly. He has been through so much and to kind of, drafted into the G League but then because of his college situation not be eligible so he a lot of players in the G League can go up and down they can go up and play for the like he plays for the Stars right now so he most players on that team in fact all the players on that team from what I could see can play for the Jazz they can play for the Utah Jazz if they get called up now the Jazz are going through a bit of an injury thing so you know a lot of players could end up going up and down but he can't at all go up to the jazz. So 
the stars have, have really got him for an entire year all to themselves. They do, yeah. And that's what's so special. And that's something that when he decided he wanted to be a professional and forgo his last year of eligibility in college, on top of the fact that he is an incredible athlete, a great basketball player and everything else, incredibly good opportunity for any NBA team to have a player in their organization that nobody can touch for an entire year and then have the potential to actually draft him at the end of the, at the, end of the season. And the Jazz do have uh, a number of draft picks. We know Danny Ainge yeah. has, has been hard at work in the offseason. I think we got about 50 draft picks from Minnesota, another 50 from uh, Cleveland. <laughs> so, I mean, there's draft picks galore for the Jazz, uh, not just the coming year, but over the next few years as well, which will give someone like Elijah the opportunity. So it'd be great to see him on the draft board. Now, thanks to you, we will be having Elijah on the show very soon. And I look forward to kind of getting more into his story and, and finding more out about him. And you know how this has kind of impacted him because like he must feel pretty relaxed because he's like, yeah, I've got this one year. I can I can go and I don't have to worry about can he, some some other team's going to come in and grab me and take me away or anything. So he, he must be feeling pretty good. Uh, you would think so, but Elijah is so hardworking and just so meticulous that I kid you not, every single day he's trying to find a way to get better, whether that's talking to his teammates. He's fortunate to have a lot of teammates with NBA experience, uh, even outside the guys that are on two-way contracts right now. But he spends a lot of time talking to them, talking to his coaches, just figuring out like little things that he can do better and building relationships um, to help him in the future. So I swear, if we don't talk every day, it's got to be every second day because he always wants to know, like, what can I do? Who should I be watching? What should I study? Like all those kinds of things. He, he's that guy that's going to do absolutely whatever it takes. And there's no days off for him. And that's not a bad thing because it shows his, it shows his level of commitment as well. And I'm sure the organization see that as well. And that's important, especially when, I mean, effectively in Scotland, right? What would usually happen is like a professional soccer player would be in his last year of his contract. And you call that the shop window year. That's the year that you really have to perform. So you get that contract extension at the end or you get a new contract altogether. So for him, this is kind of his shop window year where, you know yeah. what? He, he can just go and do his thing and and learn like that's going to be the, the big thing for him is is learning from the players learning from the coaches what it is to to make it up to the the big leagues if you like and and play for the NBA maybe not necessarily for the Jazz yeah it could be anyone at the end of the year someone else could be like you know what, you know, the Jazz have got their 20, their, their 48th pick, but like the Pacers have got the 47th pick. That's sometimes how the draft goes. Yeah, absolutely. We saw it with the G League draft. There had obviously been a lot of interest in Elijah, especially being one of the last players to enter the draft because him deciding uh, to go pro a little bit later made things a little bit more challenging. But He's had interest from at least a half a dozen teams just calling me, who is this guy? Where did you find him? How did he get here? 
can we get them? And when it came to the draft, we were actually really comfortable because there had been so much interest. To be totally honest with you, it did not turn out at all how we expected. And he ended up in a much more difficult situation and an uphill battle to even make that team based on their star-studded roster. But he just went in there and, and blew them away and they had no choice but to keep them. <laughs> what, what I love is you say that the stars have got a star-studded roster, but the Utah Jazz <laughs> just gave away their star-studded roster. So... It, it bodes well for him and, and for the rest of the, the team and the stars that they, they can look up and be like, well, hang on. They just basically sold the farm in Utah. So maybe we've got a chance. And, you know, we are seeing a lot of fringe players, people that have been fringe players on other teams around the NBA come into the Utah Jazz and actually shine. Unsuspect, uh, like, I don't think not getting into the jazz too much but i don't think uh, we expected them to be doing quite as well as as they did yeah i mean that's the interesting thing about the nba and i was speaking with a player about this earlier is it starts in in college and ncaa where it's all about fit and how you actually fit the rotation of that team do you like embody the concepts of how they play and then when you get to the NBA, it's like even more pinpointed because it's like at your position, there's certain things that you're expected to be able to do, but that depends heavily on the team and what other players you have around you. And do you have three superstars on the team or are you going to be expected on any given night to step up and, and be a scorer? Um, or is your goal or is their goal for you just to defend? And you always have to do what's asked of you, but you always have to be ready for when the opportunity arises for what you want to do in your situation. When you get one chance, you have to excel. And that's how some of these jazz players have taken this year. It's an unexpected opportunity for a lot of them, and they're capitalizing it. Like, this is their dream, and now they can finally chase it. Oh, 100%. And, and they're doing that, which has been great for me as a jazz fan to, to be able to watch. Now, watching a G League game is not the easiest thing in the world to do. Now, obviously, <laughs> you're in Canada. And he's playing in Salt Lake City, so it's not as if you can just like commute every every game. That would be a bit expensive. How do you get to tune into his games? Because you've already told me previously, like you you watch all of his games that you possibly can, but sometimes there's uh, some roadblocks in your way. Absolutely, I was fortunate enough that he actually played in one of his first games of this Showcase Cup season against one of my other clients, Xavier Moon, and they were playing against each other at the crypto arena, the NBA arena in LA. So I flew out and I actually got to see them play against each other, which I'm sure for any agent, but I can't speak for everyone. For me, it's such a surreal moment. Like it's surreal to see one player on the court, but to see them play against each other and in some cases guard each other was amazing. And I love to see as many games as I possibly can live, but with them being on the West Coast, it's not always the easiest. So sometimes the G League will stream their games on their website, which is amazing. It goes through YouTube and it's very easy and accessible. However, there's a lot of games that they only stream on ESPN Plus, which if there's people outside of Canada listening, Canada does not have ESPN or ESPN Plus, so we can't avail of those streams. But fortunately, and I don't know if this will get them in trouble, there's a lot of people that stream the games on YouTube, and I can almost always find a stream to the game. It's not often very good quality, but I watch my guys enough that based on like their movements a little bit, I can tell who it is. <laughs> <laughs> now, how, how important is it that 
that you played the game to then understand as an agent like who's a good player and who's who's not I think especially in my situation I was a point guard and point guards have to have the control of the team so even though you only play that one specific position the plays for example you have to know who's going to be where to like think of the opportunities and think of how you can utilize your players as well especially being from somewhere where I obviously had good coaches but especially like at like the school level like junior high high school like these coaches probably have never played basketball beyond high school and have limited knowledge. So a lot of it is up to your imagination of what you can come up with. So having been through experiences like those, I think it helps me pinpoint potential because I grew up with a lot of potential. We didn't have the exposure and most of the girls I played with uh, didn't play beyond like maybe a couple of years in college. Some finished their college careers, but so much untapped potential. So I think I just look for qualities that are like work driven. For example, one of my favorite stats in basketball is offensive rebounds. And defensive rebounds are just as important, but offensive rebounds are a hustle stat. You don't get those by accident for the most part. I get that it might happen occasionally, like a long rebound or something. But for the most part, you're in there and you're getting beaten up by other guys to get that rebound. So I love offensive rebounding. And that's what really drew me to Elijah. He was actually, uh, two years ago, the most efficient offensive rebounder in the NCAA which is a stat that not a lot of people knew <laughs> but you did because that that's your stat exactly you've been listening to across the pond sports podcast part of across the pond sports network keep checking back for more episodes